Thanks again for tuning in to InFocus. I'm your host, Alexandra Watts, and I have a question for you. How happy is your city? On this episode, we're focusing on the relationship between technology and sustainability. And I do want to take some time out to acknowledge this is the last episode of the season. And we have been a lot of places this season. We've been fishing in Pine Top, Eco Villages, recycling clothes, learning about bees and owls and sheep. On this final episode of the season, we're going to see how technology can teach people about their own sustainability. I spoke with Brittany Maddox and Holly Miller about their game, Happy City, along with another team member. The duo created a game where the player makes choices for their own sustainable and happy city. I'm awful at it, but let's play with Brittany and Holly. City happiness is uh, having your citizens, like, it's anything from just, like, having easy walkability or transportation to community programs and, like, public community gardens and, like, small things like green space that people don't necessarily think, oh, that makes me really happy, but, like, studies show that it actually has an overall impact on happiness of people that are just walking by or visiting or just, like, on their daily commutes. So the game is about urban planning and what basically a city would go through and trying to balance the needs and happiness of their citizens with like the need to be environmentally friendly and it focuses on how being environmentally friendly actually helps happiness in cities. So basically level one, um, it tells you that you've been appointed as Happy City's new mayor. It just says congrats, so go ahead and go collect your city funding. So this is the point where she walks around the board and gets money, which will take her to level two where she'll be able to spend it and then at that point implement Happy City programs. Like a city's budget isn't unlimited and sometimes making the more sustainable choices affects your budget too much where you have to you have to decide what you're going to do. Like will you do something that is a shopping plaza that's like really not great for the environment but like also might bring as much happiness as like a green space or an urban garden and the goal of the game is to end up with your sustainability and your happiness like as equal as possible. The green one is uh, your sustainability so as I'm picking up these like teal green coins I'm collecting like sustainability points which means I'm just starting with level two I would start with a city that already has some sustainability things implemented and then the yellow ones are for money and your budget to make the renovations in level two. Level two is where you begin to implement so you got your funding level two is where you go in and you spend that money to make the choices that will help the city. Right. Yeah so it'll give you like two facts to help the game like the first one is a gardener coffee shop and it just basically says like what a garden brings to the table versus what a coffee shop might be. So it says here like a coffee shop promotes productivity and inclusion, but a community garden is more of like an open space for everyone to go that's little to no cost to the city and might have a different impact. And then it explodes onto the board, which is the funnest part. (laughs) It shows people who would never think about something that's like in their community like a garden versus like a food truck or just like an extra parking structure versus like bike sharing like people walk by that stuff every day to get anywhere they're going and like they never thought that like someone else had to make that decision to put it there and how is that one thing affecting everyone around it
So, and pretty much when you finish the game, of course, it says, congratulations, you know, this is your happy city, and it just emphasizes the point that the decisions that you make, because it's hard to end up with a perfectly sustainable city and one that's also happy, so it just goes to show the trade-offs that there always are going to be when you're trying to decide how to implement things that will improve the city's happiness. Serious question. How happy would a city be if cacti were being stolen? Tyler Finger reported on a story about technology helping catch cacti thieves. In the Arizona desert, saguaro cacti crisscross the landscape. They are as common here as the redwoods in Northern California. If you stand next to one of the cacti, chances are it will tower over you. Some of them can grow to more than 40 feet tall and live for up to 200 years. Wisconsinite Jean Gasho was on a recent trip to Saguaro National Park near Tucson, Arizona. Makes you feel really small, um, you know, when you stand up beside them. So they're very unique. Most Saguaro live in southern Arizona and northern Mexico in the Sonoran Desert. And in Arizona, you can't shoot them, vandalize them, let alone steal them. Kevin Dahl works with the National Parks Conservation Association. He says being a cactus thief can be lucrative. Each one can fetch 100 bucks or more per foot. It's ab absolute robbery uh, and it's absolute criminal activity and it's for profit. Uh, a, a mature saguaro in a landscape adds something to the value of the home or the business that's for sale or rent. To try to prevent theft, the National Park Service has turned to technology. Rangers put tiny microchips in some of their cacti. Of the roughly 1.9 million saguaro cacti in the park, only 1,000 of them are tagged, the ones close to roads and most likely to be stolen. The trackers, which are similar to pet microchips, don't actively broadcast a signal. So if a cactus goes missing, Ray O'Neill, the chief ranger at Saguaro National Park, says the only way to know if it's from the park is to scan it using a reader. Our biggest um, hope is that, that, that it's a deterrent, that people recognize that if they steal cacti from Saguaro National Park, that there's a chance that we're going to be able to identify that that cactus came from the park. While the park doesn't have specific numbers on how many cacti have disappeared, they say they know it's happening because they found holes where cacti used to stand. Thefts like this may not be noticeable to the naked eye, but cacti conservationist Kevin Dahl says there is a concern the rolling hills here could forever change. It's a slippery slope. I've been to places where a couple of cactuses went missing and then a couple more, and now there aren't any cactuses there. But maybe technology will help protect the towering saguaro. Sustainability and technology can also mix with fashion. I recently went to a Tempe design studio for ASU's fashion program, where they're learning not only about fashion, but sustainable fashion from design to runway. My name is Denita Sewell. I'm professor of practice in the School of Art for the fashion program at Arizona State University. So as clothes became cheaper and more mass-produced and a greater volume and more and more inexpensive, it really is creating um, a societal problem and an environmental problem. I would love to be in sustainable fashion. I want to be an avant-garde designer, hopefully, and I think that sustainability is going to play a lot into it. I mean, already from this project, like I have, I saved every single scrap. My name is Mariah Alcantari. I'm a senior in the fashion program at ASU. At the moment, I'm just working on two projects currently. I have one 
which is a denim project, and the whole purpose of the project was to create a multifunctional garment out of repurposed material, and so we had to go and source denim from like thrift stores or different types, like I went to the Goodwill bins. Everything goes there that wasn't sold or deemed for sale at the Goodwill. And guys, we have Cindy Tran over here. Our outfit is basically to represent kind of the urban pollutions. So we're dealing with like the air pollution, the heat pollution, and waste. We thought of making a mask to represent um, like if there's bad air quality, it will like lift up automatically. Also, the jumpsuit is also to protect the skin from air pollution because once you're exposed to that for a long time, um, it can also damage your skin. So someone at Material Research Society contacted ASU about being involved with the fashion show and we were able and ready to seize this really important opportunity. It's something that the students can put on their resumes right away. The piece is meant to bring awareness to the trash we make every day and forget about as well as reuse. The dress is made entirely from fused recycled plastics with sensor-activated LED lights attached to it. So the fact that it's right here and they'll have not only exposure to participating in the fashion show, but also to seeing the exhibits that are a part of this uh, really innovative group and their conference and being exposed to all these ideas. Become a problem globally. It destroys the marine ecology balance while reproducing almost infinitely. We hope to warn humans of the impact of developing against nature through the red lights of fiber optics, LED lights, and the fish made of plastic bags trapped inside the tentacles. Fashion is really a zeitgeist of a time, of our world, of our aesthetics, of what we value, of the technologies that are available at the time. And fashion should never be looked at in isolation. Collaboration is what the industry is looking at to solve these problems, and it's the only way forward. And let's, let's also have a big hand for our student designers. We're going to bring them out right now as well. Both those stories were produced by me, Alexandra Watts, with music from Pottington Bear. Special thanks to Adlin Hassard for this season. For more sustainability coverage, visit cronkitenews.azpbs.org. Make sure to follow us on social media at Cronkite News. This podcast is produced as part of Elemental, a new multimedia collaboration between Cronkite News, Arizona PBS, KJZZ, KPCC, Rocky Mountain PBS, and PBS SoCal.